Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There's a popular saying that most of us are familiar with. That something is as American as apple pie and baseball. But what are we really saying when we compare the American experience to baseball? The game has long been heralded as America's favorite pastime. There's just something mesmerizing about the competition and the wild combination of brute strength, precision, and strategy on full display. But it's one thing to watch baseball and an entirely different thing altogether to play it, especially at the professional level. With virtually zero margin for error, to play professional ball requires a rare blend of physicality, dedication, talent, and for most, some good old-fashioned luck. But for one Corona California boy, baseball was life, and from the age of nine, his raw talent set him leagues above and beyond the skill level of his peers. Brandon Willie Martin was destined for greatness, and nearly everyone in his family knew it the minute he picked up a baseball glove and hit the field. Brandon quickly became a standout defensive player and was notably one of the most confident and aggressive shortstops to ever play the game in Southern California school athletic history. Just as quickly as dreams of college scholarships materialized, Major League Baseball scouts began following Brandon Martin assessing his talent from afar and eventually observing for themselves his massive potential. As he prepared to graduate high school in 2011, Brandon Martin's destiny was all but set. He was one of the top defensive prospects in all of baseball and was expected to be drafted into the major leagues quickly. But once the recognition, status, and money abruptly entered the 17-year-old's life, he quickly lost control. And then you knew that he went to play baseball and went to Florida. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And did you see him before he went? Yes, I did. Was there like a family party or going away, something like that? There was a, um, a draft party when he got selected. Yeah. Where was that party? That was at uh, my aunt and uncle's house on Winthrop Avenue or Street. Same home that we saw in the photo earlier? Yes, sir. And you were at that party? Yes, sir. And that was to celebrate Brandon being drafted by Tampa Bay? Yes. Were there lots of other relatives there as well? Yes. Did you get a chance to speak to Brandon that day? Yes, I did. And was he kind of the same loving boy, I guess, moving into being a man that you had always known? Yes. He seemed humble? Yes. Brandon Martin was drafted number 38 overall in the 2011 Major League Baseball draft. He was picked up by the Tampa Bay Rays and shortly thereafter assigned to their Gulf Coast League Rays minor league team in Port Charlotte, Florida. The 18-year-old signed a contract that included an $860,000 signing bonus in addition to nearly $144,000 set aside for his eventual college education. Martin completed the 2011 minor league season, largely without incident. His coaches noted that the 18-year-old was relatively quiet and reserved. Other than that, he was a disciplined hard worker on and off the field. After completing his rookie season in Florida, Martin returned home to Southern California, where he rented a 6,700-square-foot mansion in Yorba Linda. Three or four of his friends moved in the home with him, and the house quickly became ground zero for alcohol and drug-fueled parties. Having immediate access at age 18 to more money than most will in their entire lifetime, Brandon Martin was quick to begin spending down his nearly $1 million signing bonus. He bought his father, Michael, a brand new Nissan Titan truck and paid to have the entire family home recarpeted from top to bottom. He also bought himself a brand new SUV and parked it in the Yorba Linda Homes four-car garage. Brandon's older brother, Sean, reflected on the subtle changes he began noticing with his brother after he had returned from his rookie season in Florida. 
The first time I ever noticed a change in my brother was when I had like a week break from my, what was it? I'd say junior year before we went and started getting football going. And so he just started living in that Yorba Linda house. And I went to go visit him with my mom right after we got off of the plane at the Long Beach airport. And so when I got there, um, I saw him, saw a couple of his friends, uh, talked to them, see how things were going, just checking in. Um, noticed in the house that there was a weight room. And so weight room had clothes and stuff on it. It looked like it wasn't being used. And so I just asked him, hey, what's going on? My mom did too. What's going on? Are you working out? And my brother's never in his life flashed at me, ever. And at that moment, he was just like, what's the issue? What's up? And it was just like the most like defensive thing I've ever seen. And he was at that moment ready to fight me. And it just, it threw me back completely. Why? Because that's not him. He's, like I said, he, him and me are one and the same. Very reserved, very calm, very not too high, not too low. Did you suspect maybe he was using drugs? For a second, yeah. Why? Because growing up, um, being in college, you see a lot. You see people going from being dependent on their parents to being in an independent lifestyle. And when that happens, life changes happen. And so with that, you're tempted by a lot of stuff. And with that comes a lot of pressures such as drugs. And in college, I met a few people that were heavily involved in drugs, yes. And some of the ways that they acted kind of reminded me of how my brother was acting. Did you confront him about that? No, I didn't. While renting the Yorba Linda mansion, Brandon Martin began experimenting with drugs. He admitted to regularly using cannabis, but also tried LSD, cocaine, psychedelic mushrooms, and molly. During his first off-season back in California, police had reportedly been called out to the Yorba Linda mansion some 19 times between November and February for loud noise, partying, fights, and other complaints. On one occasion, a neighbor reported seeing several hundred partygoers randomly urinating on other homes in the neighborhood, in addition to seeing several nude women dancing on a table outside of the home. Of the purported 19 times police were called out to the property, Brandon Martin was only arrested twice for disturbing the peace. It went without saying that most in the region, including police, were familiar with Brandon Martin's tremendous baseball talent and few were willing to jeopardize his future career in the major leagues. Brandon's brother Sean was away playing football at Oregon State University during his brother's first years playing in the minor leagues. Brandon came to visit him on one occasion, and Sean immediately noticed that his brother, once relatively quiet and reserved, had begun acting more and more strangely, even erratic at times. His attitude, um, like I've said from the start, he's very reserved, very quiet, but when he got there, it was just like he was just very, very erratic in his behavior, very twitchy and very talkative, not like him at all. And my roommates who have been my roommates since my freshman year of college, who have met my brother before, because he's coming up on official visits and stuff like that, noticed it right away. They were saying, Sean, what's up with your brother? Why is he acting like this? And I literally just shook my head because I had no idea why. Did you talk to your brother about his behavior at that time? I asked him what was up, what was going on. Um, he didn't say there was any issues. He was just acting like nothing was wrong. During the 2012 minor league season, Brandon Martin was reassigned to yet another Tampa Bay Rays affiliate minor league team. This time, it was the Princeton Rays. He completed another relatively uneventful season with the West Virginia team before again heading back to Southern California during the off season. This time, he rented a posh five-bedroom home in the luxurious Eagle Glen Golf community in Corona, much closer to his parents Michael and Melody Martin's home 
Despite the close proximity to his immediate family, Brandon Martin's drug and alcohol-fueled parties continued. And between his second and third years with the Tampa Bay Rays, other family members began noticing a distinct change in Brandon, not only with his behavior, but also with his physical appearance. The once muscular shortstop had begun losing weight, and according to close family members, his once bright, welcoming eyes turned dark, and he began avoiding direct eye contact, at times uncharacteristically lashing out at those he loved. Brandon's parents and older brother grew so concerned that in December of 2012, his older brother Sean drove to Brandon's rental home in the dark of night to take him back to Michael and Melody Martin's home on Winthrop Drive. They were concerned that Brandon was losing sight of his goals and that he had been spending far too much time with the wrong crowd. So I arrived at the front door. I believe it was uh, John, J-O-N-S-O-M-M-E-R-S. Answered the door. Um, I really didn't say nothing to him. I just walked past him because if I did, I might have flashed. And so I went upstairs to my brother's room, which was the master bedroom. And I don't know if he was in there or in the loft right next to it where they had a TV and a couch. But I walked into his bedroom and this is the first time ever in life I felt something like this. Uh, so deep in my bones, it just all through my body where it just felt like pressure just everywhere in that room. And in there was literally just a mattress, a piano keyboard, and a microphone. And so it just, it felt really heavy in there. You were, you almost had a, like the room had a presence to it? I felt like something, yes. And then it, you felt something come over you. Did that scare you or? 100%, yes. Okay. Why? Because it, like I said, it's something I've never felt before. And knowing that my brother lived there, it made things even like more serious because this is the environment that he was living in. You know it wasn't good? 100%. Okay. At some point, do you come in contact with your brother? Yes, he's at the house. I tell him we're packing things up and we're leaving. Did he resist that? No. How did your brother look to you? Horrible. Why? Well, before that, uh, seeing my brother, he uh, was full-figured. Um, had good physique, was in good shape, uh, playing baseball. But at that point, I noticed just a lot more slimming to him. Slimming and just looked like he was very tired. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job and we have to find out who did they kill? If it's possible, how are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. On the ride back to their parents' Winthrop Drive home, Sean confronted Brandon, trying to figure out why he had so drastically changed, why his once motivated and meticulously healthy younger brother was deteriorating right in front of their eyes. That night during the drive was the first time Sean realized that the depth of his brother's issues were likely rooted much deeper than simple drug use. Yeah, trying to figure out what was going on. Um, that was the first time I really had alone time with him. I just straight up asked him, what's the deal? And I remember we, we took on the freeway off Cahalico Road onto the 15, got off on Magnolia. And right before we were getting off, he just looked at me. He's like, Sean, don't you hear them? And I was like, who? And he was like, our family. He was like, they're talking to us right now. And I was just like, Brandon, I don't hear nothing. What are you talking about? And he was just like, Sean, they're talking so clearly. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. And at this time, our grandparents are dead. And so it, I knew at that moment it, was, it, it wasn't good at all. 
And when you reacted the way you did, what was your brother's reaction to you? Probably laughed. Probably laughed or just stayed silent. And you knew that there was something wrong at that point. What I categorize it to, because I remember this like it was yesterday, um, it was like a scary movie. You, you go into a situation and you just feel the vibes. You're like, this isn't going to turn out good. This isn't going to turn out good. I knew it from that moment on. And I just, I tried to do as best as I could to, to help, but it's just, it was to no avail. And your brother wasn't kidding when he was talking about hearing these voices. He's dead serious. He was dead serious? Yeah. Did he seem surprised that you didn't hear it? Yeah, he was like, what do you mean? And I, at that moment, because the person I am, I'm a very, I guess, investigative type person. So I went straight to Google. I went straight online and I looked up hearing voices causes. And I, from that moment on, have been studying everything from that point on. That December was the first clear hint to Brandon Martin's family that he may actually have been suffering from some type of severe mental illness. After moving him back into the family home where they could keep a closer eye on his behavior, the writing was on the wall. Brandon's mother took him to see a psychiatrist in January of 2013 after repeated incidents where Brandon appeared to be casually talking and laughing to himself. At times, it also appeared as if he were getting into verbal arguments with people who were not actually there. Later that month, Brandon was formally diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, a condition which commonly involves the suffering of debilitating delusions and hallucinations to the extent that the diagnosed person has trouble determining what is real and what is not. During the early onset stages of paranoid schizophrenia, other symptoms include a deterioration in one's motivation, along with a significant decline in personal hygiene and self-care. As the family learned of the list of symptoms associated with the condition, they seemed to fit Brandon to the T. He was eventually prescribed medication for his diagnosis, but as he prepared to head back to the East Coast for spring training, Brandon Martin refused to take his medicine, believing that he didn't need it and that he could get better by himself. He eventually reported for spring training in April of 2013 and went on to briefly perform as the Tampa Bay Rays' top minor league defensive player. He had been reassigned again, this time to Tampa's Bowling Green's Hot Rods minor league team, another affiliate based out of Kentucky. Early on in the training, Brandon suffered an injury to his thumb and was placed on the seven-day disabled list. During his brief time in Bowling Green, coaches described Brandon as incredibly disrespectful and someone who did not respond positively to criticism. As a result of his deteriorating behavior and three subsequent failed drug tests, Brandon Martin was sent home early and was not permitted to play for the remainder of the minor league season. Later on that year in November, Brandon traveled to Oregon with his parents to watch his older brother Sean's homecoming football game and to meet with the team on the field for photographs. Sean noted during the game that despite his brother's diagnosis, Brandon's behavior continued devolving it was one more clear sign that he had not been following his prescribed treatment. Again, it was where the switch came off or switch flipped, where you could see that change again. And when we were in the tunnel getting ready to be called out, my brother went up to my head coach's daughter and asked for a lighter and a cigarette and then proceeded to ask my head coach that as well which was very out of character and pretty quite embarrassing. This is right before the game's about to start? Yes. And everyone's dressed out and ready to go on the field? Yes. Sean recalled hanging out with his brother later that evening after the football game and that his odd behavior continued. While at a party at Sean's girlfriend's house, Brandon would intermittently laugh to himself as if having heard something funny, but the others found it odd because he wasn't talking to anyone. And though his family claimed that Brandon had been formally diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia the previous January, Sean continually wondered what if Brandon's behavior was rooted in his deteriorating mental health and what, if anything, might have been driven by his brother's drug use. In January of the next year, 2014, Brandon Martin reported to a Tampa Bay Rays instructional camp, but was abruptly sent home 
after his coaches reported that he would routinely call them by profane names. They categorized his behavior as, quote, the worst we have seen in our careers. As a condition of Brandon's suspension, the Rays required that he seek professional counseling to try to get his behavior back under control. Having nowhere else to go, Brandon again moved back in with parents Michael and Melody Martin at their Winthrop Drive home. Around that same time, his older brother Sean moved back in with the family as well after finishing up his senior year of football at Oregon State. Sean had begun training to perform at an NFL Pro Day as he too aspired to join the professional ranks of the sporting elite, just like his younger brother Brandon. But after returning home that winter, Sean spent more time with his brother, the two of them now living together under the same roof. It was the first time he had observed Brandon's rapidly deteriorating behavior up close and personal. According to Sean Martin, things were getting progressively worse for Brandon. I remember very vividly my brother got a dog um, not that long um, after I came home and I was training and I was watching. We were two bedrooms down and so I was in his uh, bedroom he had as a kid and then he was in the bonus room that we grew up in and lived in. So he was in the bigger room because he was living there. And so during that time, um, I would at night just hear my brother constantly and from loud bangs on his closet door, um, very weirdly every time like it'd be around maybe 11, 12 o'clock at night, every time three bangs, bang, bang, bang. And it was very, just very weird. He would, every time cook, he, he had a favorite meal. It was the Benny, I mean not Benny Hanna's, the P.F. Chang's noodles and broccoli beef. He would get and eat that consistently. But the weird part to it was when he would do it, he would, purchase phone up facing the food every single time and I, I just I didn't understand it um, I don't know if he's trying to think that we were going to harm him or something like that but what it came down to uh, at the end of the day was extreme paranoia very paranoid about things that he didn't have to be paranoid about he was in a loving house everybody loved him everybody wanted him to succeed and so my mom at that time um, she, she became at that time very religious, very into, um, into God, um, going to church and just really just praying for my brother. And so I would pray for my brother as well every night. And there was an instance where I was watching Law and Order and I was in the room, doors locked and, uh, TV is loud, really can't hear me if I'm, you know, just, just talking regular or something like this. And so when I pray, uh, most times um, I'll do it either in my head or I'll just, I'll talk very softly and just have my conversation with God. And so at that point, t door was locked, TV was on. I I'm, I'm just saying, God, please help my brother uh, with everything. And 10 seconds later, I get a knock, three knocks. Uh, it was my brother, and he said, please stop praying for me. And it just, it, it rattled me to the bones, to the core. And it's, I was, I was very hard to, to deal with because it was constantly like that. I constantly felt like I was on my toes. My parents felt the same. It was, it was a very bad environment to be in, but we wanted to stick, him out, stick it out because we wanted to help him. Sean began to notice bizarre patterns in his brother's behavior. Late at night, he would obsessively slam his closet door, each time in threes, some nights over and over again. On other nights, it would sound as if Brandon were arguing with someone in his empty room. Their mother Melody noted that on several occasions during these apparent arguments, Brandon would become violent, punching the walls in his bedroom or in the hallway. They also noticed that he was growing increasingly more paranoid. While preparing his favorite meals throughout the day, Brandon would set up his phone to record the microwave as it cooked, paranoid that someone might try to mess with or steal his food. He then began taking his meals to his bedroom, where he spent the majority of his time locked away and alone. 
it was becoming more clear by the day that Brandon Martin's delusions were overpowering his ability to function normally, so much so that he began to turn on his own family. The Martins began locking their bedroom doors that night for fear that Brandon's increasingly aggressive delusions might one day turn on them. You said you were on your toes the whole time, as were your parents. Why were you so on edge or on your toes? The unknown. To be honest with you, the unknown. Um, you're dealing with somebody that at that point was very unstable, very not knowing what you're going to do next to where I didn't feel safe and I didn't feel safe for my parents either or my brother uh, for his health, for his safety. Is that a conversation that you had with your parents during that time? Multiple times. And what was their reaction to that? Um, it was very skewed. Um, I would have conversations. I would ask that he be kicked out. I would ask that they would not let him back in. Um, I would ask that they just really let him be on his own and just figure it out himself. But my parents being the type of people they are, they didn't want that. They, they saw what happens to people driving by on the street, homeless people begging for money. And my mom, she would see those people in my brother and she didn't want that for him. And so they would keep him there and that was their responsibility. They, they took it on full fledged and they were saying, if anything happens, this is our situation. We're gonna handle it and if worse comes to worse, this is us, like we're, we're gonna handle it. The Martin family's suspicions quickly came to fruition when on February 5th, 2014, Brandon Martin's odd and at times bizarre behavior turned violent. The once loving, charismatic, and respectful brother and son put his hands on his older brother, Sean, triggering the pair's first physical fight in their entire lives. Uh, the first time was when I was back home training for the pro day, and uh, I was mentioning my brother got a dog, and so he came into the room, uh, his hands were wet, uh, I don't know what from, maybe from water, maybe from dog pee, which I hope not, but he said, hey, smell this, and pushed, sorry, pushed his hand and mushed my face. And at that moment, I never had my brother physically touch me in a, in a physical way ever. And so that was literally the first time I ever got to fight with my brother. And you come out to the hallway, or fighting, um, the lights were off, and so I'm just trying to dodge and get everything. My dad runs upstairs, and um, I'm again like I'm, I would never punch my brother, but at that moment something had to be done, and I cocked back. Luckily, my dad tackled my brother, and I swung, and I hit the banister and, and broke my hand. And at that moment. I didn't feel it. It was it was just pure adrenaline. And my mom came running upstairs. My brother, uh, my dad let my brother, my, my brother, my dad let my brother go. And my mom was standing kind of by where our rooms were. My brother, I don't know how he did this, ran behind her, jumped on her, put both legs on her, and bit the top of her head. And at that moment, I ran full speed, picked him up, threw him up against the wall. And at that moment, I just saw just the relief in his eyes or just something like just, just like an awakeness. Like, and it was just, he had like the most shameful face ever. He, he was like, oh man, I, I messed up. One of those type of faces. Before uh, you saw that change in his eyes, did he have that same, that same look of mania that you described? Yes. And so when those situations happened, his eyes would get very dark, like black. And me and him, we both have hazel eyes. And so it was very easy to, to see that. After assaulting his brother Sean on February 5th, the Tampa Bay Rays suspended Brandon Martin through September of 2014, again insisting that he seek professional help. During that year off, Brandon's father's health began rapidly deteriorating due to kidney failure. Michael Martin had started going to dialysis three times a week and eventually grew confined to a wheelchair. Their once active, caring, and loving father, the man who created within Brandon and Sean a drive to compete in sports, needed to be cared for himself. Mr. Martin was extremely debilitated. He um, usually sat in that brown chair. Um, can everybody see the brown chair? 
Okay. He usually sat in the brown chair. He had a hard time leaning forward because his back, his back muscles were really weak. Um, he was not able to lean, to uh, reach forward at all. Normally, he would take the one hand to to uh, lift the other hand. Okay. Um, Indicating that he would use his his right hand to kind to, of lift his, to lift left. his left hand to grab anything like liquid or anything um, left to the side of him. Um, and he was wheelchair bound. He was wheelchair bound, um, chair chair fast, meaning um, basically he would go from the wheelchair. Somebody would transfer him into a chair, and then that's where he would stay until somebody could transfer him back into the wheelchair. Okay. So he he himself wouldn't be able to um, use do the his... transfer. No. Okay. Um, now, when you said in terms of in order to move his arm. Um, he would have to use the left or the right arm to help move the opposite arm. That's correct. Would he be able to raise his hand above his shoulder? No, without the assistance of the other arm. Okay. So if he wanted, say, to raise one hand above his shoulder, he would have to use the other one. That's correct. And, and would he even be able to do that? Uh, he could get it about uh, shoulder height. In September of 2014, instead of preparing to return to the ball field, Brandon Martin uncharacteristically lashed out and attacked his father, who by then was entirely unable to defend himself. Michael was um, ambulatory, so Michael couldn't get around. He couldn't um, go to the bathroom on his own. He couldn't take a shower on his own. He couldn't get up and walk on his own. Um, Michael sat in that recliner, you know, all day, um, except when maybe healthcare people came, um, or he went to dialysis, then he was out of that chair. Um, but no, Michael would never pr provoke Brandon or, or do anything to Brandon to hurt him. When this happened, did you ask Brandon, hey, why'd you do, why'd you hit your dad while he's sitting in the chair? Of course. And what, what, what'd he say? Brandon said, Michael told him to. Okay. So you eventually went to court and Michael and applied for a restraining order, right? Yes, we did. After punching his father, Michael, in the head several times during the unprovoked attack, Michael Martin was granted a temporary restraining order against his son. Having no place else to go, Brandon's mother paid for him to stay in a nearby hotel for the next three weeks until things calmed down. Michael and Melody Martin developed a list of written conditions that Brandon was to commit to and strictly follow if he were ever to be allowed to return home. Memorable items on the list included the following. Brandon must continue taking his medication, not have any illicit drugs in the house, not talk to family abusively, must be respectful, and must find a job. After believing Brandon had demonstrated enough commitment to their list of demands, Michael and Melody Martin moved their son back into their home. But it seemed the completely unprovoked attack on his father was only the beginning. Early Christmas morning, I was woken up, hearing them arguing, um, yelling, um, being very belligerent, which was totally not the Brandon prior to his diagnosis. Um, and then 90 days later, March of 2015, again, we started seeing the cycle all over again, the 90-day pattern. In between those 90 days, um, he was just quiet, you know, he soft talked, very monotone, very paranoid though, because he would tape the refrigerator during the day to make sure nobody touched his food in the fridge. Um, but when that 90-day mark hit, um, you, you didn't know what was going to happen. You, you didn't know when the pin was going to drop. You didn't know um, what it was going to be like that night because, you know, we locked our doors. Um, we heard him yelling. We, we heard him arguing, but nobody was there. Um, the next day, we'd see punches in the walls in his bedroom. He broke the glass on the closet doors, as Sean testified, the three times of closing those doors. 
Um, Rhonda didn't remember those things when asked about them. After police were eventually made aware of the assault, they allegedly warned the Martin family that if Brandon were arrested, there would be, quote, direct repercussions to his career. As a result, charges were never pressed for the incident, and Brandon Martin was never arrested for attacking his father. It seemed one more incident in a line of many, where the people closest to the once top Major League Baseball prospect turned a blind eye to his increasingly dangerous and at times violent behavior. His older brother Sean recounted one night late at their parents' home when he finally resorted to arming himself, just in case Brandon's bizarre and aggressive behavior turned towards him again. I would sit there, lay there on the bed. I couldn't sleep because I was hearing this. I was scared for my life. Um, he came down that night three times, um, smiling, laughing, like he always does, talking to himself, not having a conversation with anybody. I'm sitting there just stiff, laying on my side, watching TV, lights off. And he would walk by, stare at me, smile, laugh, go to the garage, come back, go upstairs, do it again, go to the kitchen, come back, go to the bathroom, come back. And so I went to the garage and I got myself a golf club because I did not know what was going to happen. And I did not fall asleep the rest of that night. So you got the club because you thought you might need some protection? Yes. You said your brother would come down three times, yes? Yes. He also would bang the closet door three times? Yes. Was there something about that three number that you noticed in some of the symptoms that you were witnessing? Well, uh, again, I'm, I'm black and white. I, I don't take signs for, you know, nothing. I, I look at everything, I digest it, and I say, okay, well, Sean, you, you see threes, you, you understand what three is, you, you know what the three is. And what I mean by that from a religious side is the Holy Spirit and threes. And so because of that, and the way that he told me not to pray for me after not hearing my voice, I, I mean, one would be to think that maybe this is spiritual. Maybe this is something that is holding my brother back to where it's making him act this way. And if you look at it from the timestamps, every three months, every three months, like clockwork. And so it's, it's very, like, not a coincidence in my, in my opinion. After just three tumultuous seasons playing for the Tampa Bay Rays minor league farm teams, Brandon Martin was finally terminated from his contract. He was formally released from the team on March 26th, 2015. young man who once had everything, the talent, the money, the respect, Brandon Martin had suddenly lost it all. He eventually ran out of money and failed to ever find a job. He grew more and more disengaged, spending most days alone in his bedroom at his parents' Winthrop Drive home in Corona. Brandon's mother and father began reaching out to his extended family, to his uncles and cousins, other men who might be able to talk to him to help redirect him back onto his path towards greatness. Melody Martin eventually asked her brother Ricky's son, Michael, to come talk to Brandon shortly after he was cut by the Rays. It was the first time that Michael Anderson had seen his younger cousin in some time. But the minute he walked into the Martin family home, he knew that he was already too late. He went from a nice, presentable person to someone that you could tell there was evil in his face and his eyes. Okay. Um, and how did you notice this? Were you talking to him on the phone? Did you see him during the off season or, or what? Um, I, I want to say the first time I noticed it, I was asked to come talk to him by his mom. Okay. So Melody asked you to go uh, have a discussion with Brandon? Yes, sir. And uh, what... Do you know what year that was? 2015, I believe. Okay. Was it close in time to the instance that we're, we're going to talk about? Maybe within six months. Okay. And did you, in fact, go and, and speak with Brandon? Yes, sir. What did you speak to him about? I actually didn't even get a chance to speak with him. Uh, why is that? When I saw him, I, I didn't see... 
when I saw him at the house, I didn't see that um, me talking to him would do any good after looking at him. Okay. Um, so you saw, you went to go speak to him. Where was this? This was in Corona at the Winthorpe house. Okay, so at his parents' house. Yes, sir. And when you went to go speak to him, did you did he have like some sort of attitude, display some sort of attitude towards you? No, he just looked he just looked uh, different in his eyes. Okay. Um and whether it was speaking to him or uh with his mother, did they either one of them give you an indication what was causing his attitude? I uh, talked to his mom quite a bit. Um, I was trying to figure out if, if she knew of any drug use other than the marijuana. Um, I was convinced that there was something else. She was convinced that he was only smoking weed. When you say something else, were you thinking other drugs? Yes, sir. The day that I did come by, I don't believe I talked to him. Did you have a chance to see him? Yes, I did. Can you describe that for us? All I can remember was uh, was his eyes. Um, he was, he didn't come up and say hi. He just, it seems like he maybe, he was walking around the living room. But all I, all I remember was seeing was his eyes and, and knowing that there's no point. Another occasion after he was cut from the Tampa Bay Rays, another cousin had been visiting with Brandon at the Martin home. He too saw firsthand Brandon's odd and increasingly bizarre behavior. During the visit, Brandon got into some type of verbal altercation with his father Michael. At one point, he allegedly called his dad the N-word. Brandon had reportedly confided in others that he resented being mixed race. His mother Melody was white and his father Michael was black. Court reports would also eventually reveal that Brandon Martin had allegedly begun using skin lighteners in an attempt to lighten his skin tone because he, quote, hated being black. The once proud son of Michael and Melody Martin, for some reason, had seemingly turned against his father, his own flesh and blood. None of it made any sense. But then on September 13th, 2015, Brandon Martin, who had already exhibited blind rage and aggression towards his brother and father, unexpectedly turned on his mother, Melody. And so I go upstairs and he's just arguing with her. She wants him to go see the psychiatrist appointment, which is like at 12 or 1230. He doesn't want to go complaining about his chest hurting, uh, just wants to lay in bed. And at that point, he, when we started badgering him on, just let out the loudest, like, earth-shattering yell like that I, I've never even got close to hearing, hearing or feeling to this day. It, it set my, my bones in shivers. And he picked up scissors, came at us, um, and knowing my brother, he he's not a person to strike first. He Every time I've gotten in a conflict with him is because I touched him and initiated the conflict. And so because of that, I felt very confident in leaving my mom there with my brother, scissors pointed up to walk downstairs calmly and grab the golf club and come back and pretty much shoot him to his room. At one point during the altercation, Brandon wrapped both of his hands around his mother's throat, choking her enough that she later developed bruising in the area. After Sean returned upstairs with a golf club, he chased his brother Brandon off to his bedroom and immediately began planning his recourse. What did you do after that? Um, uh, man, was, adrenaline was growing. Um, I called a couple of my family members. I told them, hey, this is, uh, this is serious, guys. Um, I know you guys have been just pretty much pushing it off this whole time, just saying it's drugs, blaming my parents for not, you know, helping them enough. But this is serious. Um, I think we need to, excuse my French, we need to beat his ass. So you thought that if you beat up your brother that that might get his attention? No, but it would make me feel better. So were you trying to solicit some 
of your cousins to an uncle's to come down and help you? Yeah. And they wanted to. 100%. They did? Yeah. Sean called the number of his uncles and cousins over the next day and a half. They had all originally planned to confront Brandon on September 15th, two days after he had assaulted his mother. They were quietly planning to handle the situation as a family, without the police, and to give Brandon Martin a healthy dose of his own medicine. On September 15th, 2015, did you also go to the Winthrop uh, residence? Yes, sir. And uh, did somebody organize for you and others to go to that, to that house? My cousin Sean asked me to come to the house. Okay. Um, and what was, the, what was the reason why you went to the house? Um, my cousin Sean asked me to come to the house to beat my cousin up. To beat up Brandon. Brandon. Okay. And I'm assuming that's not, that's something rather unusual. Yes, sir. Okay. And did you have an idea as to why they were asking you to do that? Before I talked to Sean, it was something that he had done. I didn't know the specifics. Okay. So we won't go into any of that, but do you, um, but what was the purpose? So let's assume you go there on the 15th and you beat up Brandon. Was it just you that was going to do it or were, were other people involved? Uh, I believe it was just me that was contacted, at which point I uh, dropped my kids off at home and I reached out to other family members to, okay. to tell them to come as well. Okay. Now, in your mind, was this going to be like a, like a group beating or, or what? No, sir. Uh, just you? Uh, I, as much as I wanted to, I decided it would be good to, have, to not go to jail for, for doing something like that. So although you were contacted to go beat up Brandon, did you in fact do it? No. And what was your reasoning uh, of contacting other family members to go to the house? I felt that um, the elder family members, including my dad, my uncle, my uncles, and um, one of my cousins should, should be involved because they understood the situation with Brandon. So rather than um, using physical force upon Brandon, were you just trying to have people talk to him? Uh, yes, sir. And also, I think, to show a presence that we're aware of the situation. various extended family members arrived at the Martin family home at 1207 Winthrop Drive in Corona, California on September 15th, 2015. Cooler heads, thankfully, prevailed. So people start coming over and really, let me stop you right there just yes. for a moment. Did everyone agree to come over and, and beat him up with you? Yes, but once we got there, my uncle, who was the owner of the HVAC company, um, started getting a cooler head. He said, Sean, your brother is unstable right now. If we attack him, he can press charges against us and we can go to jail for assault. We can't do that. Right. And so we let okay. it go. Yeah, we let it go. Okay. So what happened? Your brother's in his room. And so he's in his room. Um, everybody's downstairs. Uh, we're watching The Voice. Um, everybody gets there. Um, so it's those people I mentioned, uh, my Uncle Rick, um, and we're just talking, figuring out what we need to do. And so we call the cops. Um, we decide that my brother needs to, needs to be taken out. He needs to be arrested or he needs to be held captive because this situation over the years in that point, it just it escalated and climaxed to a point where it was just like, man, this is it's going to explode. It was a ticking time bomb for sure. Did the Corona PD arrive? Yeah, they did. Okay, where were you when they arrived? I was in the living room in between. We had a wood floor in between the living room carpet and the kitchen, so I was in between. And did your brother come outside the home? Uh, yeah, so he came downstairs to the kitchen. He had his laptop. 
he um, sat it there and I told him, Brandon, the, the cops want to see you. And that was, that was the last time I saw him. Did you see him walk out of the house? Yeah. And then the next thing you know, he was taken away? Yeah. Brandon's brother, Sean, informed responding officers that his brother had assaulted and threatened his mother two evenings before. But Melanie Martin was not present when police detained her son as she had left the home to go pick up food for the gathering family. Ultimately, no one else at the home who was present when police arrived wanted to press charges. So officers instead detained Brandon Martin using an emergency 5150 hold, which permitted them to transport him to the Riverside Emergency Treatment Services Center, where they were authorized to hold him involuntarily for up to 72 hours for psychiatric evaluation. But the family had incorrectly assumed that Brandon was out of their hands for at least the next 72 hours. But after just 42, they received a phone call. Apparently, Brandon Martin didn't meet their criteria for continued involuntary treatment. So, against their wishes, Brandon was released on September 17, 2015. He was given a bus pass by ETS staff and told that his family no longer wished to see him and that he was no longer welcome back in their home. And on the 17th, um, Bricky was at the Martin's residence? Yes, sir. And how long had he been there? I believe he'd been there for since 2 o'clock, 2 p.m. And uh, do you know the reason why he was there? Uh, he wanted to make sure my Uncle Michael was okay. And uh, he was also, I think, keeping an eye out for uh, Brandon. Uh, and you said that your Uncle Michael, uh, finding out if he was okay. I want to talk to him about him for just a minute. What was Michael's health like on uh, in September of 2017? Uh, he was he was in bad shape. He, okay. When you say bad shape, how bad? So I don't know all the specifics, but from what I understood, it was uh, diabetes. He was, I think, on dialysis. Um, every time that I saw him, in the maybe the six months leading up to it. He was just sitting there in a chair, could barely move in pain, uh, just not the uncle I knew. Did you ever see him um, like walk around up from the six months before the incident? No, sir. Brandon Martin's uncle, Ricky Anderson, went over to the family's Winthrop Drive home the afternoon of September 17th to look after Brandon's ailing father, Michael, in the event his now estranged son showed up unexpectedly. Ricky's son had been in contact with his father throughout the afternoon and was keeping tabs on what was going on and if anyone had seen Brandon. I'm ask you a difficult question, but do you recall the last conversation that you had with your father? Yes, sir. And what time was that conversation? I believe it was a few minutes after four o'clock. You said that was the last conversation you had? Yes, sir. Did you try calling your father after that 4 p.m. conversation that you had? Yes, sir. Did your, um, do you also text, text message? Yes, sir. Um, does your father, or did your father? He did. Did you try texting him as well? I believe I might have texted him. Okay. And you said that you tried calling him? Yes, sir. How many times after that 4 p.m. telephone call did you try getting a hold of your father? Probably. I five or six. Uh, and are, were you pretty close to your father? Yes, sir. Uh, was it unusual for him not to pick up the phone if he tried calling? Yes, sir. Uh, was it unusual for him not to return a phone call if you left him a message? Yes, sir. Did he pick up the phone? No, sir. Did he return any of your messages? No, sir. Now, I want to jump back to that last conversation that you had at 4.10 p.m. Did anything that he mentioned to you about who was at that residence give you cause for concern? Yes, sir. And what was that? What was your, what was your concern? That my uncle and my dad's life might have been in danger, that something was going on. Why would you think that your father's life would be in danger? 
because I know Brandon was just released from the hospital. And so you said that maybe half a dozen times you tried calling your dad. Yes, sir. After him not responding or picking up, what did you decide to do? I decided to, to leave my, my house in Orange and drive out to, to Corona to my aunt and uncle's house. Michael Anderson rushed to the Martin family home in Corona, but he ended up hitting the gridlocked rush hour traffic that afternoon. So the ride that should have taken only 25 or 30 minutes took well over an hour. When he arrived at 1207 Winthrop Drive, Michael Anderson saw his dad's truck parked across the street from the Martin family home. Concerned for his father and Uncle Michael's safety, Michael Anderson walked right in through the front door. I, I turned the handle and I remember as it was opening, I, I noticed that it had the new electronic lock and I think I was comforted to know that it was unlocked. Uh, I opened the door and I saw a, a body towards the end of the house, towards the end of the, the walkway. When you, did you actually go up to the body? No, sir. Could you tell who it was from where, where you were standing? He looked black, that's why I thought he was my Uncle Michael. Um, I'm, it was hard to tell, but I believe it was my Uncle Michael's body there. Okay. How far away were you from the body? At the front door. From where this photographer uh, took the photo, were you approximately right there? I might have had my foot on the threshold. Did you go inside the house at all? Not that I, I I'm pretty sure I, I did not walk in at all. Like if I would have walked in, it would have been one step. Okay. But I don't think I did that. What did you do after seeing the body there? Well, I'm going to ask you another difficult question. Did, did you call out um, for anybody when you were there? Not that I can think of. And why? And what did you do after you saw the body? I uh, ran to the rental truck I was in and uh, maneuvered it a few houses down and turned it around into a position to kind of aimed at the house, but to get away from the house while I was on the trying to call the police. When you left the house, did you leave the front door open or, or did you close it? Or do you recall? Um, I don't recall. Okay. Why did you not go inside the house? In the military, we were taught to not go into a situation without having uh, a tactical advantage uh, without numbering the enemy and I had no idea what was going on I was by myself it just instincts I just I didn't go in Brandon Martin ultimately did return home the afternoon of September 17th, performing one last bizarre and violent act. And as he had on several occasions before, he did it in threes. Find out what happens when a 22-year-old man who once had it all had nothing left to lose. Next time on Invisible Choir.